Good morning, good afternoon, good night, good whatever it may be for you right now. This is Lose the Taboo on Mental Health with Jared Cash. Buckle up, get ready, we going for a ride. Hey, welcome to another episode of Lose the Taboo on Mental Health. I am here with Brittany Kirshner, and I'm so excited about this episode. I'll tell you what, I... uh, We've been able to chat here for just a little while before we actually hit record and started doing this thing. And uh, just Brittany's heart is amazing. Her and her husband, Dustin, I won't dive into too much, but recently moved and I work with Brittany now at Timberlake Church. And uh, I think she's got a lot of knowledge and experience that we'll just bring to the table um, a lot for our conversation today. So thanks for being here, Brittany. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited. Good, good. I'm excited too. Uh, and for those that are watching on YouTube, we've got really good video quality. I can't always promise this video quality, but for having Brittany on, I was like, I got to pull out all the stops. We yeah. got to do <laughs> right. this thing right. Right. Um, but Brittany, tell me uh, just a little bit about yourself. Like, what's where are you from originally? What's your hobbies? Yeah, I am actually born and raised in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Okay. Um, I went to college at Iowa State University, and I now have a bachelor's degree in pre-law that I do not use at all. <laughs> um, and I now work in ministry. My husband and I met in Denver, so after college, I went to Denver um, just because my family had moved out there while I was in college, and then. From there, I started ministry, volunteering, serving, and ended up with an internship that I wasn't planning on getting, ended up with a communications manager role that I wasn't planning on getting, um, and now here we are at Timberlake. So just kind of hopped hopped across the country to this coast. <laughs> so you guys have only been in this this part of Washington for just like a month or two, right? Yeah. So or Dustin, a few months, maybe? Well, Dustin grew up here, mm-hmm. um, and so he's coming back, but we've only been here since February, so it's okay. been a very short amount of time. Yeah. But, but we got Timberlake jobs like a month after we moved out here, which was, again, a lot quicker than we planned. Um, and yeah, so it's been a couple months, but so far, so good. Loving the area, loving the place, and so far, it's my favorite place I've lived. That's awesome. And that's what matters. And you are <laughs> coming up to the most beautiful time in this part of Washington, at least that's yeah. summertime. So I've been told summers are good promises. Like they've got sun for the whole summer. Yeah. And I'm excited about that. Yeah. We moved here right at the beginning of summer last year. Oh, and nice. so it like, we got the best experience before all the rain came and gloominess. And so, yeah, summer's yeah. like the, hands down the best I've ever seen it summer here. I am a moody person. So I love the rain, <laughs> like love oh, the really? rain. Yeah. And I know that's like, I can't tell a lot of Washington people that because they're like, stop wishing it stays. Like, we want the sun. But maybe it'll go away after a year from now. But I've loved having the rain. That's awesome. But I also have loved, like, the good days, too. So I'm excited to see what summer looks like, especially by the water. I haven't been around water since Wisconsin. Mm. So there's no water in Colorado. (laughs) But, yeah. That's awesome. What what do you like to do for fun? Um, I was thinking about this earlier and I was like, what are my hobbies? Like, what do I enjoy doing? And I change up really quickly. So like, I'm the kind of person that gets addicted to things. Like I'll be hooked on like certain kinds of movies. I'll be hooked on video games, but just for like a few months. Mm. And then after that, I'm like over it. So right now I love playing Mario Party. Like mm-hmm. on Nintendo. That's awesome. Um, and that's my favorite right now. But that probably will only last a couple months and then it'll switch to something else. Before this, it was painting. I love painting. Oh, yeah. That's been the only thing I think my whole life that I've been into is like painting and drawing and sketching. Like I've done that my whole life. So that's probably the only hobby that I'll 
have forever. But right now it's video games. So awesome. a little bit of a nerd. <laughs> no, that's so cool. I just recently, I hadn't played video games for a while. And I just recently bought a new Xbox. And so I've been, nice. I play sport games. So I've been playing that once we get the girls down a little bit. So it's just like <laughs> a way to like turn off my brain. And yes, because yes. I feel like my brain goes nonstop during the day. So me too. And I think it's a way for me to remember like to turn work off mm-hmm. because if I'm playing a video game, then I'm not like not thinking about other stuff. So yeah, it gets a little competitive and then I'm just focused on the game. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Well, I'm curious. I know you have, uh, a lot of different experience when yeah. it comes to mental health and a lot of knowledge, but was just curious if you could just share a little bit of your experience with it. Maybe, mm-hmm. you know, a little bit of just how mental health, you know, you really noticed the struggles with mental health and mm-hmm. kind of where it went from there. So dive into whatever part of your story you want to. Yeah. Um, when I was younger, I, I think I've always had anxiety my whole life. And I think when I was younger, I just was hyper aware of it because I wasn't like the other kids. Like, I would go out in public and I'd make friends very easily and I'd love talking to people. I loved like just being energetic and outgoing, but then like I'd get home and I'd immediately be like, ah, I need to be alone and like Mm. isolate in my room. And so a lot of like growing up, I had a lot of friends, but the minute I got home, I was like, never left my bedroom. Um, and I think, you know, that, that was part of like my social anxiety. And I just, as a kid, you just don't know what that is. Um, and it wasn't until middle school that I really realized I had anxiety because I tried for years to do online school. Like I tried convincing my parents. I was like, take me out of school. I hate school. Like I don't want to be in public. Um, and again, just didn't have a name to like what, what I was feeling, but Mm -hmm. I was like, I just am struggling so much being in school. There's so many people I'm overwhelmed. I'm overstimulated. Um, and then when I was around 11, which I don't know if that was like sixth or seventh grade, but it definitely was in like middle school. So I was like 11 and I had started having like just weird feelings about like hating my life. And Mm. I like went to my parents and I was like, I know my life's good. Like I know my life's good, but like I'm not well. And like, I just don't feel happy and like nothing feels right. Um, and so I, ended up getting severe depression, getting diagnosed mm. with severe depression. And I got diagnosed with that at the age of 12. So it was about a year of like battling it by myself. I tried going to the school counselor um, and they just didn't have like school psychologists yet. And so like mm-hmm. they didn't know. And they were like, this is just a teenage phase. And like, I remember going to my mom and being like, this is not a teenage phase. Like something yeah. is wrong. Um, and so after I got diagnosed with depression, I tried everything. Like my parents put me in counseling. I tried um, group counseling. And that's like really where my story began. Mm-hmm. Um, the National Alliance of Mental Illness Organization hosted groups um, for teenagers who had mental illness. And I was like, I don't really want to do that. Like, I don't want to go to a group with people where we all think our life sucks. (laughs) Like, that doesn't sound fun. Um, But then I ended up going and, like, three kids that I went to high school with were in it. Oh, wow. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like, I know you guys. And it kind of felt like a small group. Um, And I got a little bit overwhelmed because one of them was, like, a football player. And I was like, your life is great. Like, you were on... In, in middle school, you know, it's like the biggest deal to be on the football team. So you're like, yeah. you're in the football team. Like, what's wrong with you? And I got to like hear his story and it just like really brought to life for me that like I'm not alone in all of it. Mm. Um, and so it was after like my third time going that I had sat down with the leader of the group and I had told her, I was like, I want to be more involved. Like, I want to do something more than just this. And I wasn't sure what it was. And she was kind of like thrown back, like, what do you mean? And I was like, I just think it's so cool that I got to this group and I felt 
like heard for the first time. Mm. Where I was like, people get it. Like people my age, people who have great lives, like sometimes things don't go your way and like not everything is perfect. And so it was great to sit down with those people. And she actually introduced me to the Wisconsin director of uh, the National Alliance on Mental Illness Organization and got me connected to speak at like walks and like work with like government officials on why mental health is important. And so a lot of my high school career was traveling the country and working with them and speaking at schools and universities and different walks that they hosted. And sometimes they weren't even walks that they hosted, but they partnered with that I would speak at. Um, And I would just talk about my story. And it was so cool to like hear everybody else come up to me at the end and be like, we get it. Or like my son went through this or like, I know my best friend's going through it and that's why we're here. And like, Again, just fulfilling like the like the void of feeling alone. Like it fulfilled mm-hmm. that for me when I spoke about it. People, other people spoke about it, and so that was kind of my high school. Once I got to college, I continued to work with them on campus um, at Iowa, and they were great. Like it was a lot smaller because I mean we're all in college. We're trying to work our butts off on homework. Yeah. Um, but it was even cool to like see adults dive into mental health because when you get to college, it's a little bit. I think you're afraid to admit that things are wrong and it's more of like, I need to get my life together. And so there's a little more pressure mm-hmm. of like, oh, I don't have my life together and I need to figure it out on my own. And if I invite people into it, then it's crazy and it's messy. Um, but I continued it in college and I made some really great friends through that and then got to Denver, worked with the organization there. And so now I've worked with them for 10 years, which wow. is crazy. Um, but I have not connected with the ones in Washington. So, I mean, I probably will soon, but, (laughs) but, uh, I've just kind of traveled with them my whole life at this point and talked about different things that I've gone through and being somebody with like social anxiety, it was a great way to work with them to kind of work through that stuff too. Like I had to overcome my anxiety every time I went and spoke about my story. And like, I had to work through the fear of judgment and the fear of like meeting people, um, in order to do that. And so there's something really, I don't know, for me, I found therapeutic about sharing your story. Yeah. Maybe that wouldn't be for everybody, but just here recently, I've been able to share a little bit, um, more of my story. And I was kind of, I don't know, whenever I needed a time of healing, it was kind of part of the process of healing for me, something about sharing it. And then anytime I would hear any feedback from people that like it helped them, Mm -hmm. like just that would help me in my journey with it. So I don't know what it is, but something about sharing it and just allowing other people to be blessed by it, but then it blesses you. It almost like takes away the like what we all tell ourselves, which is that we're crazy. Mm. Like it like kind of, it fulfills that like need of being to know, like you're not alone and you're not crazy in it. And like, sometimes, sometimes I talk about my anxiety and I'm like, oh, you just, you don't get it. I'm sorry. That was awkward. Like, I don't know why I brought that up, but then they'll be like, no, I get it. And I'm like, oh great. Like this isn't just me. And it just kind of fulfills like the, the void of being alone in it. Mm -hmm. Um, and it also like, tells the voice in your head to be quiet about like, yeah. Hey, you are alone. And like, you are crazy. Cause you're not, you know? Mm-hmm. So something, it is definitely therapeutic to yeah. be able to open up and share and hear other people's too. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. So with your experience with it, um, mm-hmm. do you feel like overall that was a great experience working with them? Like, is yeah. it the, like it at times did it feel like overwhelming to the point where like, you're like, why am I doing this? Yeah. So this is 
it's not funny, but it's kind of ironic. Like when I was talking about overcoming my anxiety for speeches and like talking at schools and stuff, my anxiety after college really peaked. And when, and that was like when I moved to Denver and it was probably because I left all my friends in Wisconsin, left all my friends in Iowa. Like I had to start over all over again. Um, and when I got to their office and like met everybody, I was like, wow, these people are so great. And there were actually a couple of times that I had to like reach out to them and be like, I'm not coming to this thing today. Mm -hmm. Like I would bail on them the day of, because I was like, it's too much. Mm -hmm. Um, and luckily working for a mental health organization, they're like, duh, like we get it. And like, yeah. yeah, they're very understanding. They're very charismatic. Um, and they just like appreciate people's hearts. And so mm-hmm. they were like, if you need to rest, the rest, like I know of a couple directors that retired this past year there because they also needed to rest. So like working and pouring out is definitely difficult when you have the mental health concerns. But I think being surrounded by people who also get it is fulfilling. Mm-hmm. So my time there was great. I think, I think it definitely was a life, like work life balance almost where you yeah. had to take time for yourself because if you didn't, you felt it in the speeches or you felt it after the speeches when like people would come up to you, you're like, I can't pour out as much as I want. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so that we could dive into a lot of those different pieces, but mm-hmm. I'm curious, um, about, um, just what it's, what anxiety has looked like for you since, cause it's like every stage is different. High school yeah. anxiety and mental illness looks a certain way. Mm-hmm. And then you, like you said, college, you start feeling a little bit more on your own. You start feeling like I've got the pressure to like grow yeah. up and find out what I'm doing with my life. And then once you finish college, the pressure is really on you. Mm-hmm. Like I'm supposed to have my life kind of figured out at this point. Like I don't, I don't necessarily have the same support system that I had when I was in high school. Yeah. So what does that look like for you now? Like when it comes to anxiety and how you manage it? Yeah, I think um, when I graduated college, like you said, it definitely is life stage. Like I think about the anxiety I had in middle school and how different it was from high school and then moving to college, um, especially out of state college. It was like a completely different transition, yeah. leaving everyone back um, back where I'm from. And then moving to Denver kind of shifted that again. But once I got to Denver, COVID happened. Uh. And so it was like, and I mean, it was about a year later, but it still was very quick mm-hmm. um, into my time being there. And I think, you know, it's op- COVID feels like it's been 10 years since, yeah, <laughs> since before. For sure. um, and so I think my anxiety increased a ton. And like, I didn't realize it though. I was actually feeling so fulfilled during COVID, having to be home, not having to come up with mm. excuses to yeah. like not go to something. I didn't have to bail on anybody. But then the minute that things started to get lifted and restrictions started to go away, I felt very, very scared of meeting people. I was mm. like, I don't, I don't want to go out. I don't want to see my friends. I, I wish that I could say COVID as an excuse. Like, so I think it's been a shift trying to like manage how to get over that. And that Mm -hmm. has just really come from my self-awareness. Like I can tell when I'm not doing well during the week, when I start to feel drained or tired Mm -hmm. and I'm like, Oh, where's this coming from? And like, it definitely is my depression peeking through. And I think my anxiety loves to play off of that. And it's like, Oh, but now you're like scared of random things that you've never been scared about. Mm. Um, and so it's a lot of reflection. So when I go out during the week, if I like have something with a friend, like last night was a great example. We had a barbecue with a couple of friends for a birthday 
And I wanted to cancel so badly. And my husband just looked at me and he was like, are you sure? Like, you can't, like, are you okay? Like, we don't have to go. And he was like, but you know it would be good for you. And I was like, you're right. Like, it would be good for me. And I think just those, like, one, having the community around you, Mm -hmm. but two, having the self-awareness to be like, you're right, actually, this is probably going to be more helpful than harmful for me to go. Um, And, I mean, pushing through in that way has been a lot of, like, independent work. Um, but yeah, I mean, COVID really shifted it. And then not to mention my husband and I got married during COVID. Mm -hmm. So we didn't even have like a wedding. We had, uh, we decided to elope Mm. because our venue got shut down. And so we didn't like have people, which again, my dream, (laughs) you know, just like by ourselves, having a day, not having to overthink anything, not having to worry if I trip down the aisle. (laughs) Um, but then like that also played a role. Like I'm now sharing my life with somebody. Mm -hmm. And so my anxiety comes out a lot more. Like, am I doing the right things for him? Am I, I'm like overthinking the things that like, I don't think anyone ever warned me about. Yeah. Like, am I a good enough wife? Am I being supportive? Is this not helpful? Should I tell him what I'm thinking? Should I not tell him what I'm thinking? And he's very supportive. He knows all of the things that have happened in my life and he knows my mental health. Um, so it helps that he's aware of it. Because he'll just, like, remind me. Like, sometimes he'll put his hand on my back and he's like, hey, I'm on your team. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that's so helpful to me because I physically and mentally don't think it. Like, I will be like, no, we're not on the same team. Like, I don't want to drag him into my mess. Like, But instead, because he's aware of it, he can see when it's happening. And he's like, hey, like, I'm here. You don't have to do this alone. Um, So, yeah, I think it's been a multiple stages of shifting and learning. I think anxiety specifically is a mental health concern that, like, you really have to be aware of. And you also have to be willing to learn all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, There are weeks that, like, will be a lot more anxious than other weeks. And I walk out of that week and I'm like, oh, I learned that was a trigger this week and I didn't know that. And so like, it's all about adaptability, I think, which unfortunately does not work hand in hand with anxiety. (laughs) But um, yeah, I think it's a lot of self-awareness and unfortunately that can sometimes feel isolating and alone. And like I said, my depression plays into that, but um, having, having a person or having, you know, even if you're like living at home with your parents, like having your parents be aware of it, like Mm -hmm. just somebody to be like, you're not by yourself, um, is super helpful. Yeah. That's really good. I think about, um, a couple things off of that. Like Mm -hmm. one of them is sometimes there's people around that want to support, but just don't know how to, Right. you know, like I think about, um, my wife, Jessica, she, has had a course, you know, everyone deals with mental health in some capacity, but it hasn't mm-hmm. been this like ongoing battle for her. Yeah. So a lot of what I deal with, you know, I feel like I deal with all mental illness mm-hmm. things. Like it's like the list is never ending. Uh, a lot of times for her, like I've had to be self-aware enough to know like what I need and how I need it and what's best for me. And, yeah. and I've had to explain that to her cause I can't just assume that she'll know, right. you know, cause she's just going to go off of what she thinks is best, but she hasn't experienced it. So mm-hmm. lots of times she doesn't know. Uh, and it, I, I laugh because I'm the same way, like so many times, especially early on in our marriage, like I wanted to back out and bail on every like plan that we had. Mm-hmm. Um, and she would always like knowing that it was best for me, always push me. And I'd be like, stop it. That's not best for me. You know, even <laughs> yeah. though like she knew and I knew that it was best. And so yeah. like, luckily more times than not, I would listen to her and I'd end up thanking her later. Like, yeah. thanks for pushing me, but, you know, not being too pushy, but, you right. know, encouraging me. But sometimes it takes letting the people around you, your parents, your friends, your yeah. spouse, you know, friendship, whatever it is, 
know what's going on, mm-hmm. you know? And, and then even like for, cause there's some people that listen to this and they, they have a loved one who deals with mental illness. And so like sometimes, yeah. you know, you can't necessarily wait around for that person to become self-aware enough yeah. to tell you. Sometimes you just have to ask, Absolutely. you know, like what are like when you're feeling this way, what are the things you need? And you ask them when they're in a better state of mind where they can really think through it. Yeah. Um, because that communication is just so key. Right. My favorite thing that my husband did, um, and we've really, we've learned it in the last few months of being here is when he can tell that I'm feeling off is to just ask like, Hey, what's, what's really going on Mm. in your mind right now? And it's literally like, it's an opportunity for me to just pour out. And he knows that. And we've made it like we sat down at dinner one day and talked about it. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I was like, that's super helpful when you say things like that. Because for some reason, I don't really like the question that's like, what's wrong? And I'm like, oh gosh, I'm obviously like, you can feel my energy or you can tell that I'm off and I don't like that. And Mm -hmm. then I become very anxious about like, oh, now I'm just like this spaz of a person and like everyone can tell. Um, So when he asked me, well, what's like really going on in your head right now? Like it helps me break down everything. And so it like allows me, it gives me like two minutes to just like say all the things and like, honestly, like word vomit at all. Yeah. And like, because we've made that a rule for us, like he knows that sometimes I say things that I'm just feeling and it's not really an actual like thing that I want to talk about or something that I want to go deeper in, but he just knows I need to get it off my chest because it's in my head. Um, that's been really helpful. And mm-hmm. I think that helped with my anxiety a lot because a lot of my anxiety is in my head and mm-hmm. I just like overthink for months. Like today I brought up another conversation with him that we had six months ago and he was like, he was like, Hey, what's going on? And I was like, Oh gosh. I was like, I'm doing it again. Like I'm just overthinking the things that don't matter. And like, it's taking away from me being present. Um, so like even just asking, Hey, what's really going on? Or like, what's really mm-hmm. in your head right now? Like that's super helpful, um, for me. And I'm sure like a lot of other people haven't been asked that. Like the first yeah. time he asked me that, I was like, what do you mean? And he was like, I don't want to know how you're feeling. He was like, I just want to know what you're thinking. Like mm-hmm. what's in your head right now? Um, Cause he could just tell that I was disengaged. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think it is like you said, not something you should assume people know, but definitely something to lean into if you are a friend of someone to be like, Hey, like just sit down and have the conversation and be like, I want to be here for you. I want to be supportive. Like, do you know of things? If you don't, we'll learn together. Yeah. You know? It all comes down to being proactive and not waiting till there's a super low period or super uh, anxious, stressful time to try to figure that out. But you be proactive in the higher moments so you can kind of come up with some kind of plan that you can can battle it together whenever those times do come. Yeah. Uh, What's been... When it comes to uh, anxiety, what's been some of the best things that you've learned Mm. to help you in it? Mm. That's a good question. Um... I think communication, Mm over-communication is better for me. I used to be one of those people that would hold it all in. And then I would just, like, break down. And it usually was, like, clockwork, like, three times a month, clockwork, on the dot. Like, this is when I'm breaking down. I can tell it's, like, too too much in my mind. Um, And so, like, being open and being vulnerable and being, like, over-communicative and having my core people I can do that with has been super helpful. Like I said, like, word vomiting, like not the friends that are, you know, going to give you advice to help you fix it, but the friends that are just going to let you say everything. Mm -hmm. Um, that's been a really key part. And then another thing would be, as I learn things about myself, I tell people. Mm. So like I realized about a year ago that physical touch is not 
my love language. (laughs) And it actually makes me very like stressed. And I don't know why. And I don't know if that's like really my core of anxiety, but I know that like my skin crawls, like when people like just assume I want a a hug and I'm like, oh gosh. Um, And so after being aware of that, like I literally went to my family and I was like, I don't really like this. I think my only exception is my little brothers. I have two little brothers. I love their hugs. Anytime Mm. they give me hugs, but they're also teenagers. So it's like, if a teenager wants to give you a hug, it's like, you should just take it. They're not going (laughs) to want to give you that for long. Um, so I think, but like my parents know, like my mom will ask me before she hugs me. She's like, can I hug you? Like, and she's very thoughtful about it. And so I think, you know, even like little things like that, just like finding as you find the triggers, like telling people, Mm -hmm. um, I know it feels really scary and almost a little bit like high maintenance (laughs) to say, oh, I don't like being touched or, oh, I don't like when you say something like this. Um, but it helps a lot with your mental health. Like my core friends know certain things that trigger me verbally and Mm -hmm. they just like are aware of it. And if they do say it, they're usually very apologetic and they're like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Like I forgot that that bothered you. Um, and I just think those things are really helpful to also tell people about and like involve your people. That's like the key point, involve your people. Yeah. And like you said, it can sometimes feel like you're being extra or high maintenance, but it's mm-hmm. like so often we don't take care of ourselves. Yeah. You know, when we like overthink it and we're like, I don't want to burden people or seem like this. And sometimes we have to just be like me centered yeah. and think about us and communicate. Um, and if not, we can just push ourselves to limits where it's yeah hard to come back. I grew up doing pageants. Mm -hmm. And so one of like, one of the questions that they would ask in an interview when you would compete to be like Miss Wisconsin or Miss Colorado, um, was what are two words to describe yourself? Mm. And my answer every time would be selfish and selfless Mm. because that's what I want for myself every single day. I want to have selfless acts throughout the day, but I also want to know my limits and I want to make sure that I'm taking care of myself. Um, and I think that like living by that has been so helpful. And I think I've used that answer since I probably was 12. So That's awesome. <laughs> since like my depression started, I was like, oh, I'm selfless, but I need to be selfish. Yeah. Um, and I think oftentimes in our world, we forget, like we say things like it's not about us. And mm. I think we forget that a part of it is. Yeah. And so that part has to be taken care of. Otherwise it doesn't end well, you know? Yeah. So. And that's a lot of what I dealt with, um, like working in ministry, it's really easy to like, to never be selfish and to mm-hmm. always just be selfless. And yeah. that was one of the big things I had to learn kind of with my uh, anxiety and depression meltdown was like, I've got to take care of myself and yeah. I can't, you know, like I want to be very selfless in how I take care of my family and my friends the people I come in contact with. But if I don't take care of myself, then I really can't help other people. Yeah. The pastoral pressure is real. And my husband and I've had to work through that together as a couple too over the last year. And Um, especially with COVID, like the demand for needing a pastor was so much stronger too. And so if you don't, if you don't have the balance of selflessness and selfishness, um, oftentimes you forget yourself and so, Mm -hmm. or you lose yourself in the midst of it. Um, so I think it's a, it's a good balance to have. It's good to be 50, 50. And I know saying to be 50% selfish kind of feels arrogant and like maybe a little too much, like, Oh, you should probably, maybe it should be 25. Like, no, it needs to be 50. You need to be pouring in and pouring out, you yeah. know? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I totally agree. And I wish I would have learned that a long time ago. Um, it would have saved a lot of heartache, a lot of, right. trouble, a lot, a lot of heartache. And my wife right. wishes I knew that a long time ago too. Yeah. Um, before we move on, I'm curious, mm-hmm. I never know, Nami? Nami, Nami, Nami I've, 
<laughs> listen, as I've traveled more to this coast, it shifts. Yeah. So in the Midwest, it was NAMI. And then in Colorado, it was NAMI. Um, I haven't talked to anybody who works for them in Washington. Yeah. So I don't know what Washington people call it. But <laughs> um, it definitely is. And you is, said it earlier, but it, it stands for? National Alliance on Mental Illness. Yeah. What kind of resources do they have? Yeah, when you go to their website, they have a ton of resources. So they have things for teenagers. They have things for families. Um, I did a peer-to-peer program, which Mm -hmm. allowed me to, like, talk to people my age about it. Um, When I was in high school, I did a, like I said, I did their small group that they did for depression. Um, I've done a ton of their walks. Their walks are great. I know it feels weird to be like, oh, I'm going to go to a 5K and that will be good for me. But, like, one, exercise is so good for your mental health. Mm -hmm. But, two... Like doing a walk with a bunch of other people who are there for mental health, like nothing's taboo. Like everybody loves that's talking awesome. about it. And I think even that's just a great step. But they have a resource page that's specifically all the states listed, and mm. you can click your state to see what they have. Um, so it's a great spot. I think it's just nami.org. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I was just curious. I, I know for some people listening, they're like, I just don't even know where to start with resources. So that's a great place to... They've got stats on mental health and they update it every year and they have resources that they update all the time, just depending on your state. So it's really helpful. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Uh, How does anxiety differ for you compared to other mental illnesses? Because I know you've mentioned that depression's a battle. I know there's some other things. How does it differ when it comes to... um, and, and you've touched on it some already, yeah. but like, like trying to find improvement and healing in anxiety can look different than depression, for yeah, example. For sure. I think, like I said, I think anxiety is one of those mental health concerns that really play off of other ones. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, I was diagnosed with anxiety, like actually diagnosed with it the year after I was diagnosed with depression. And, you know, to me now it's funny that the anxiety wasn't noticed first yeah. <laughs> because that's the one that for sure started first. Um, but I think it just became so much more noticeable once I was diagnosed with depression because it, I really got in my head and my anxiety really played off of my depression. Um, and so I think taking care of myself and how those are different, it, it has to be, it feels a lot more internal for Mm -hmm. me. I know for some other people, it's probably more external. Like I keep saying involve your people and that's a lot more external. But like I said, like I'm a very internal person. So my Mm -hmm. husband even has to say like, what's going on internally? Because he knows I'm not saying it all. Um, I also have PTSD. And so that plays a lot off of it where I'll overthink situations that created my PTSD a ton. And I'll just like, I'll like, shut down and it'll become crippling anxiety and I just won't be able to leave my house and I won't be able to do anything. Some days I feel like I can't get out of bed. And like those days are a lot more physically noticeable for my husband. And luckily, Mm -hmm. like I do have a husband who like notices it and he's like, Hey, like, come on, let's go for a walk. Like he'll push me to do things like that. Um, but when I was alone, like without my husband, I felt alone. Like I felt like I didn't have somebody. And I remember telling my parents after I met my husband, Dustin, like for the first time. And I told them like, I'm going to marry that guy. But before I met him, I was like, I, I don't think I'm going to get married. Mm. And I, and I like the guys I dated before, mm, I don't think I would have married any of them. (laughs) Like it, like we, they talk about it and I just wasn't excited about it. And I was like, I don't want to marry anybody because I have to invite them into my mess. Mm. That's like what it felt like to me was marriage was like, 
just open box of my chaos. Um, and so when I found Dustin, like it was super helpful. But before that, a lot of my work with anxiety had to be myself pushing myself. Mm. Um, and that was really hard. So I had a counselor and she Mm. was great. And she taught me a lot of self-awareness, things like breathing techniques and how to help with panic attacks, um, and things like that. And so I recommend counseling when you're alone by yourself. Um, once I found Dustin, like we, like we both continued counseling together. Um, and it was super helpful because she taught him ways to help me too. Um, and it was just like being open to that also and having that conversation with her. But I think like when you're alone, you have to be willing to ask for help. And when you have somebody, you have to be willing to let them in. And I think Mm. anxiety loves to play on the part of like, well, don't show them this part of you or like, don't let them in. And like, um, I know it definitely, my anxiety definitely enjoys playing off of my PTSD and my depression. Um, so I'm lucky that I have a spouse before that the counselor was like my key person and Mm -hmm. she helped me with a ton of stuff. So at what point did you did you learn that PTSD was mm-hmm. in your life? Yeah. For you? I found out that I had PTSD two years ago. Okay. And it's because, so this is crazy. I, it was my 21st birthday. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and I had a blackout, like, and it was not from drinking. And I remember, like, Dustin and I were out. We were just dating at the time. And I, like, could feel it coming. Like, I was like, I am not drunk, but I... I am not doing well. Yeah. And so, and like now, like also for my mental health, I am sober just to like put that out there. Yeah. Um, and that was helpful also to use my anxiety. Turns out alcohol does not help mm. with your anxiety. Yeah. Um, but I found out like that next day I had blacked out the entire night. Dustin had took me home and he was like taking care of me all night. And I just like, wasn't feeling well. And I kept like having flashbacks to like childhood events and trauma from high school. And, um, it was just really interesting because I remember like, I remember telling Dustin to leave. Like I was like, leave, like, please do not take care of me tonight. Like my, he brought me, like brought me to my parents' house. I was living at my parents at the time. And my parents were like, she's fine. Like we can watch her. Like we'll take care of her. Um, and Dustin just like would not leave because I told him to leave. And so I remember like the next morning, like I didn't feel sick at all. I just like genuinely had this like PTSD blackout. And I remember he looked at me and he was like, I didn't leave because I needed you to see that I'm not going to leave you in your mess. Mm. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so overwhelmed. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, that was the nicest thing anyone could have said to me. Um, But it was so funny because that next day, because of how much I loved him, I was like, I need to get help. Mm. And like literally the next day is the day that I reached out to my counselor. And I was like, I... I want to start counseling. I need help. I know that this is PTSD. I had a few blackouts in college um, with very similar experiences. And, like, the things Dustin was telling me about, like, very similar, like, to the T of, like, what happened the previous times. And so I had gone to her, and she was like, oh, yeah, you have PTSD. Like, she was like, she was like, yeah, (laughs) she was like, you don't even stop trying to, because I would belittle it. I was like, oh, no, I don't have PTSD. Like, I just had a little bit of trauma. Like, it's, it's fine. And she was like, no, 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 like, it's pretty bad and we need to talk through it. And so I ended up doing EMDR, um, that fall and that was really helpful. And that's like to go back and like, what is that exactly? I don't even know what EMDR stands for, (laughs) if I'm being honest, but it's, that's what it's called. And, um, it helps you go back into the memory and rewrite it for your brain. Uh, Um, part of my PTSD is forgetting timelines So like, I'm not good at dating things and I know I'm not good at it because of it. But part of EMDR is going back into the memory 
and putting a timestamp on it to help you see it clearer Um, and less blurry, less like less of your anxiety speaking into it, less of your depression telling you it was something different. Like it really helps you see it in a clearer way so that you can rewrite it and not let it hold you. Um, And so it was a very chain breaking experience for me where I felt very free afterwards Um, there's for sure more that I should be doing, um, and could be doing, but I think, you know, it is a heavy thing to go through. And I remember like those four months of doing it, I like, didn't really see anybody else. Like I just did my job and I saw my husband, but like my friends all knew I was doing it. My parents knew I was doing it and they knew like I needed time and space to process all of Mm. it because it's so heavy. Um, but yeah, I was diagnosed with that two years ago and I feel like it, I feel like it was a chain breaking diagnosis where Mm -hmm. I was like, this makes so much sense. Like, um, I feel less crazy knowing I have it, but it also was, um, definitely another thing for my anxiety to play off of definitely another thing for my depression to be like, Oh, look, you're not good enough. And you're like, that's not true. Um, so it was a lot of internal work with counseling and EMDR and luckily like, I met my husband in the middle of all that and he stuck around for it. Um, but I mean, I really, I really feel like the PTSD was a big part of my story, but it happened much later. So it was, it's interesting. It's like a 10 year space between my depression and my PTSD diagnosis. So yeah. Yeah. I, I don't have any, uh, knowledge or experience when it comes to PTSD Mm -hmm. and, uh, just hearing that process you went through, like, was that like a weekly thing or something for four months? It was a weekly thing. Um, we did it my counselor was really great because she was a lot more flexible. So we actually like, there was like a couple weeks that were too heavy and she was like, next week, let's take a break. Mm. Like we won't meet next week. Um, and that was really great. She texted me every week though. Like she would do it for the one week, the week that I didn't have it. She texted me and be like, how are you feeling? Like, yeah. are you okay? Um, and the weeks that we did it every week, it was just smaller things. Uh, but again, it was like rewriting and like allowing me to see clear from my, like, instead of the perspective of hurt and bitterness or of betrayal or trauma, I was able to see it for what it was. Um, we did, I am statements too, Mm -hmm. which was like my favorite thing ever because I used to tell myself like, I deserve this. And that's like what my childhood like thing was, was like Uh, in my trauma, I would like tell myself like, Oh, I deserved this. Like, that's my fault. Or like I did mm -hmm. this to myself. And we rewrote a lot of those stories to I deserve better. Wow. And so it really helps, like, it helped create a voice in my head now that when something bad happens, I'm like, I deserve better than that. And I know that, you know? Um, But a lot of PTSD is breaking chains, you Mm. know, from your past because it is your past. So my depression is very current. My PTSD holds me in my past and my anxiety prevents me from my future. So it's like I have one of each of the three ghosts, (laughs) you know? (laughs) But That is so powerful. I, just you talking about the... I am statements and that, mm. like, I, I just, when you were saying that, I just had this kind of peace. Like, I just feel like that's going to be really powerful for someone listening. Like, mm-hmm. that's going to speak right to them. Something that I would have never been able to share. Yeah. But having you share it, like, it's really powerful. It's a really, it was a really unique experience. And I remember the day that she told me that, because I didn't write it myself. Mm-hmm. I, like, told her how I felt, and I told her what I thought the message was in those moments. Like, a lot of reliving those moments was telling myself I deserved that. And she saw me doing that. And mm. then, like, it was – I think it was two weeks into the process that she was like, okay, now we have to come up with the I am statement that takes away that chain. And I was like, what the heck would take away that chain? You know, yeah. like, that feels so heavy. I still do it to my current day. Like, sometimes I'll catch myself saying, like, oh, I deserve that. Mm. And she was like, you deserve better. That's your I am statement. And I was like, 
Oh my gosh. Like I felt like I remember that day so vividly because I started sobbing and like I left counseling and I like got home and Dustin was like, Oh my gosh, are you okay? And I was like, Oh my gosh. Like I just had this moment. Like I realized it's not me. And Mm. like, I think that's a very freeing statement for mental health in general. Like we all have mental health. We all have mental health period. But we also, some of us have mental health concerns and we need to take care of ourselves. And to say you deserve better than that, like we should be telling ourselves that no matter what mental health concern it is, you know, like we all deserve better than our anxiety. We all deserve Mm -hmm. better than our depression. Like that's just trying to hold you back and you don't deserve that. You deserve a good life. And Mm -hmm. so it was a very powerful statement. And now I catch myself when I start to say, oh, I deserve that. I'm like, no, 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 no my counselor would tell me. And it's like a voice in my head of like, I deserve better actually, you know? So it's really good. So much power in counseling. I'm I'm with you. I, and sometimes people give up because they try out a counselor and it's not a good fit. Yeah. And then they're like, Oh, I give it a try. I'm not going to do it. But I always say like, keep going until you find the right fit because for my life, counseling was huge for you. Like it's been a game changer for your mental health. Well, and I do think like you know, I had a counselor in high school for a little bit Mm -hmm. and I had a bad experience. I had a really bad experience and I didn't walk away feeling free. And I think I could have used that as a reason to not go back. Yeah. And instead I used that as a reason to find someone better. And Mm -hmm. you know, what's crazy is like now as I'm saying it out loud, like went to find deserve better. Like I deserve better than that guy. And then I found her, you know, like it's crazy. Um, but it is all about finding the right fit, you know, like, and I think, Oftentimes, some people figure out their mental health stuff on their own, and they think like, oh, I don't need a counselor because I did it by myself. But like a counselor just helps encourage you mm-hmm. and empower you. And if an, a counselor isn't doing that, like they're not the right one. Yeah. You know, They're not there to make you feel bad about your life. They're not there to make you feel guilty about things. They're there to help you process. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of that is heavy. Like EMDR was definitely... I can imagine. A heavy, yeah. <laughs> yeah, a lot of it was like owning my stuff too, you know, like yeah. owning the things that I went through. Um, but at the same time, it was very freeing. And at the end of it, I felt empowered. And that's how I knew it was the right thing to do. So yeah. I know counseling feels scary and it feels like a lot of work, but it is. And it's also worth it. Mm. You know, I'm glad they shared shared that. Yeah. Um, what's been your biggest takeaway mm-hmm. um, as we talk here today? Like, what's if there was one thing, and you've shared a lot of really good nuggets of truth. Mm-hmm. What's the one thing that you're like, man? I just so desperately want someone that's listening to this to know this and not just hear it, but to like really believe it deep down in their core. Yeah. I would say after, you know, working with NAMI for so long and going through the mental health things that I have gone through, I would just want everyone to know that nobody asked for their mental health issues. Mm. You know, like, I know you didn't wake up when you were 10 years old and ask for depression. Yeah. And I feel like sometimes society makes it feel like you asked for it. And sometimes society makes it feel like, oh, well, now that's their identity. And that's why now they, like, now I feel like society shifted from wanting to talk about it to, like, oh, I don't like when it becomes my identity. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, it shouldn't be your identity. But nobody that talks about it a lot wanted it to be either. Yeah. And I think, like, that's really important. And I wish somebody would have told me that. Like, when I gave those messages, I had a couple of people come up to me, like, one of those speeches, and they'd come up to me and be like, oh, well, 
now it's all you talk about. And I'm like, that's like, but I didn't ask for it. You know, like I'm talking about it because I want other people to know they're not alone in it. But like none of us who are going through hard times or going through mental health concerns, like ask for those things to happen. And so I think embracing it is the best way to overcome it. And I also Mm -hmm. think like remembering and reminding yourself that like once you've overcome it and acknowledged it, like it's a lot of work. But you didn't ask for it to happen to you. And so it's not attention seeking. It's not your identity. It's just a part of who you are. And if mm-hmm. people aren't willing to accept that or acknowledge that, then like they're not your people, you know? Yeah. Um, and I wish I would have learned that a lot sooner. I know I just said like all the other things about breaking chains and like those I am statements were super powerful. But I wish somebody would have told me just because you talk about it a lot doesn't mean it's who you are. And I know you didn't ask for it. Like, yeah. because sometimes I feel like, oh gosh, maybe I'm just dragging this out. Like maybe I'm dragging my depression on and I'm like, no, you know what? Like I didn't wake up and pick this. Mm -hmm. Um, but we can pick what we do next, you know? So yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a battle that unfortunately people have to walk through, but, um, it doesn't have to overwhelm you. It doesn't have to overtake you. And it's definitely not something you're choosing. Right. Right. Yeah. We can choose what we do next, but we don't have to, we did not choose to have it. So yeah. Yeah. I have something for you really quick. Okay. Okay. I meant to have it. Me right here. Oh gosh. <laughs> Wanted to also encourage everybody. I, I wrote a devotional book, 60 day devotional book called Live Fully, Love Freely with Mental Illness. Yes. 60 day I'm devotional. pumped about this. So I wanted you to have a copy. Oh my gosh, I love the branding. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, my brother Jordan. He is Jordan, a marketing person. Yeah. I love the branding. My brother Jordan, um, who's wow. in ministry, just, I was like, I really want this kind of cover, and he he put it together for me. So shout this out to Jordan. Is, this is so good. Yeah, but uh, one of the things that I that, that's been huge for me with my mental health was I found a devotional mm-hmm. that I went through, especially during high school and college, and I continue on. But like, I would try to find resources, mm-hmm. and so uh, when I was battling my really in one of my lowest periods when it came to depression, and then one of the most stressful anxiety times I had. Yeah. I, you know, really felt convicted. I was like, I need to help put out another resource yeah. so that people, whether they're dealing with mental illness themselves or they just have a loved one who is like just trying to put a resource out there where people can feel like they're not alone, where yeah. they feel like encouraged and where they feel like uh, Jesus is, will meet us right in the middle of our mental illness. Yep. And it's not like, it's not like it's a separate thing. Like Jesus will meet us there and walk with us in our mental illness so I wanted some kind of resource that would encourage people in those three things, but then also for someone that maybe doesn't deal with mental health struggles on a regular basis, just get a little insight yeah. into like what what some of the struggles are and yeah. how they can kind of help. So wanted to give that to you. Thanks. Today. I love this. I what you were talking about with like Jesus. I had this like moment the other day where I was just like in my Bible, I was just reading Mm -hmm. and it was talking about Jesus's emotions Mm -hmm. and like what Jesus was feeling. And I like immediately started writing down notes. I was like, if Jesus was a perfect human, the only perfect human ever, and he felt emotions, bad emotions, Mm -hmm. it is not a sin. Mm. And so it like made me like, that was like another like breakaway, but I'm excited to read this because it makes like this, this goes along with exactly what I felt when I was reading that, where I was like, Jesus meets you with your mental health. Mm -hmm. Like he knows he gets it. Like he had hard days on this earth and we all will too. But like it wasn't a sin because he felt it. So like now we need to be living freely in it. So Mm -hmm. I'm really excited to live fully love freely with mental illness. So good. Yeah. Awesome. So good. And that's so true. You know, it's, that's the beautiful thing about relationship with Jesus. What's Mm -hmm. so different than 
it's not just this this creator of the universe, this being that is so separate from us that God. doesn't understand what we feel, what we go through. Like Jesus walked this earth. He lived. He was fully human, fully God. Yeah. He understands like the stress that we feel, the tension right. that we feel, the difficulties that we have. And just that alone makes a relationship with Jesus so different than anything else. Agreed. When there's hope in the world, you'll get disappointed. And when there's hope in Jesus, mm. you'll feel fulfilled. Mm. So. Okay. That's okay. a good, you know. That's awesome. Just came up with that on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Brittany, I'm so glad that you came on and yeah, thanks had this for discussion. Having me. And yeah. I know that that I'm definitely going to want to have you on again because there's so many things we didn't get to dive into. And yeah. you have so much knowledge that, that we could continue on another conversation. So yeah. I would love to have you on again. That'd be great. I This was so much fun. I loved everything about this. I love talking about mental health. So I was super glad that you asked me to be on it. Yeah. Well, really cool. appreciate it. And thank you, everybody, for taking the time to listen to this. Um, if someone were to have a question for you, yeah, what's the best way for them? Is there like... A, it's okay if we share like your Instagram handle or should they ask me and then like me pass it on to you or no Instagram's great. Okay. What's your Instagram? Mrs. Brittany Kirshner. Okay. (laughs) That's it's literally just, just my name. Awesome. That's great. (laughs) But yeah. Perfect. Okay. Uh, That way, if anyone has a specific question about maybe something that you've had experience with, they can reach out to you. So awesome. Well, thank you everybody. Appreciate your time. Brittany, you're awesome. And we will see you next episode. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please subscribe and share with others so they can join us on this journey. I'll see you next time.